Chapter Three of A Summer in a Canyon, A California Story by Kate Douglas Wiggin. The Slippervox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Life in the Canyon. The heir apparent loses himself. Part B. Philip and Bell came through the trees, and as they neared the camp, saw Aunt Truth sitting at the door of Tent Chatter looking the very picture of comfort as she drew her darning needle in and out of an unseemly rent in one of dicky's stockings marjorie and polly came up just behind and dropped into her lap some beautiful branches of wild azalea did you have a pleasant walk dears she asked yes indeed dear auntie now just hold your head perfectly still while we decorate you for dinner we will make uncle doc's eyes fairly pop with admiration have you been lonely without us oh not a bit <laughs> you see there's been a good deal of noise about here and i feel as if i were not alone hapiette has been pounding soap bread in the kitchen and i hear the sound of pancho's axe in the distance the doctor asked him to chop wood for the campfire was dicky any trouble where is he why darling mother are you crazy asked bell if you think a moment he was in the hammock and you were lying down in the tent when we started why i certainly thought i heard him ask to go with you said mrs winship in rather an alarmed tone so he did but i told him it was too far oh i didn't hear that in fact i was half asleep i was not feeling well ask hapiette he has been in the kitchen all the afternoon Hapiet replied with discouraging tranquillity. Oh, I know no. I know say Dicky. He alli time long long camp. I know look. Too muchy work. I chop hash. Dicky come in kitchen. Uh, make heat work. No good. I tell him go long. He go. By and by you catch up. You see. Whereupon he gracefully skinned an onion and burst into a Chinese song, with complete indifference as to whether Dicky lived or died. Perhaps he is with Poncho. I'll run and see, cried Polly, dashing swiftly in the direction of the sky parlor. But after a few minutes she ran back with a serious face. He's not there. Poncho has not seen him since lunch. Well, I've just happened to think, said Pale Aunt Truth that papa came into the tent for some cartridges after you left and of course he took dick with him i don't suppose it is any use to worry he always does come out all right and i have told him so many times never on any account to go away from the camp alone that he surely would not do it papa and the boys will be home soon now it is nearly six o'clock and i told them that i would blow the horn at six as usual if they are too far away to hear it they will know the time by the sun well said bell anxiously i hope it is all right papa is so strict that he won't be late himself did all the boys go with him mamma yes all but philip oh then dicky must be with them said marjorie consolingly geoffrey always takes him wherever he can so the girls went into the tent to begin their dinner toilet which consisted in carefully brushing burrs and dust from their pretty dresses and donning fresh collars and stockings with low ties of russet leather which polly declared belonged only to the stage conception of a camping costume 
then with smoothly brushed hair and bright flower knots at collar and belt they looked charming enough to grace any drawing-room in the land the horn was blown again at six o'clock and truth standing at the entrance of the path which led up the canyon shading her anxious eyes from the light of the setting sun here they come she cried joyously as the welcome party appeared in sight guns over shoulder full game bags and jack and jeff with a few rabbits and quail hanging over their arms the girls rushed out of the tent bell took in the whole group with one swift glance and then turned to her mother who like most mothers believed the worst at once and grew paler as she asked papa where is little dick dick why my dear he has not been out with us what do you mean are you sure you didn't take him faltered aunt truth of course i am good heavens doesn't anyone know where the child is looking at the frightened group you know uncle said geoffrey we started out at three o'clock i noticed dicky playing with his blocks in our tent and said good-bye to him did you see him when you came back for the cartridges certainly i did he called me to look at his dog making believe to go to sleep in the hammock we girls went down to the pool soon after that said bell tearfully he asked to go with us and i told him it was too far and that he'd better stay with mamma who would be all alone he said yes so sweetly i couldn't mistrust him oh was it my fault papa please don't say it was and she burst into a passion of sobs no no my child of course it was not oh, don't cry we shall find him go and look about the camp jeff while we consider for a minute what to do if there's any fault it is mine for going to sleep said poor aunt truth but i never dreamed you would dare to wander off alone my poor little disobedient darling what shall we do have you spoken to poncho and hop yet asked phil yes they've seen nothing hop yet just at this moment issued from his kitchen with an immense platter of mutton stew and dumplings which he deposited on the table on being questioned again he answered as before with the greatest serenity intimating that dicky would come home he at bye bye when he got plenty hungry he seemed to think a lost boy or two in a family rather a trifle than otherwise and wound up his unfeeling remarks with the practical one dinner already you know eat mutton he get cold mr wins i know fine pickle you catch em i don't believe he would care if we all died right before his eyes i should just like to see a chinaman's heart once and find out whether it was made of resin or cuttlefish or what muttered polly angrily well said phil as dr winship came through the trees from the card room we must start out this instant and of course we can find him somehow somewhere he hasn't been gone over two hours and he couldn't walk far that's certain now uncle doc shall we all go different ways and leave the girls here to see if he doesn't turn up oh papa cried bell do not leave us at home we can hunt as well as any one we know every foot of the canyon let me go with jeff and we'll follow the brook trail 
very well now mamma poncho and i will go down to the main road and you wait patiently here make all the noise you can children and the one who finds him must come back to the camp and blow the horn hop yet we go now if dicky comes back you blow the horn yourself will you all right boss you eat on dinner now then go by and by mutton heap coal you dinner shouted jack confound your impudence if you say dinner again i'll cut the cue off your stupid head good murmured polly giving a savage punch to her blue tam-o-shanter cap jack jack remonstrated aunt truth i know dear auntie but the castle heathen makes me so mad i can't contain myself come marjorie let's be off get your shawl and hurrah for the one who comes back to blow the horn first i'll wager you ten to one i'll have dick and auntie's lap inside the hour at which aunt truth's eyes brightened and she began to take heart again but as he tore past the brush kitchen and out into the woods dragging madge after him at a breathless pace he shut his lips together rather grimly saying i'd give five hundred dollars supposing i had a cent to see that youngster safe again tell me one thing jack said marjorie her teeth chattering with nervousness are there any animals in this canyon that would attack him oh of course it is possible that a california lion or a wildcat might come down to the brook to drink they have been killed hereabouts but i hardly believe it is likely and neither do i believe they would be apt to hurt him anyway for he would never attack them you know what i am afraid of is that he has tumbled over the rock somewhere in climbing or tangled himself up in the chaparral he couldn't have made off with a pistol could he he is up to all such tricks presently the canyon began to echo with strange sounds which i have no doubt sent the owls birds and rabbits into fits of terror for the boys had whistles and pistols while polly had taken a tin pan and a hammer she had gone with phil out behind the thicket of manzanita bushes and they both stood motionless undecided where to go oh phil i can't help it i must cry i'm so frightened let me sit down a second yes i know it's an ant-hill and i shouldn't care if it were a hornet's nest i deserve to be stung what do you think i said to marjorie this morning the dicky was a perfect little marplot and spoiled all our fun and i wished he were in the bottom of the red sea and then i called him a k k killjoy and polly buried her head in her blue tam and cried a good honest old-fashioned cry there chirk up poor little soul and don't you fret over a careless speech that meant nothing at all i've wished him in the red sea more than once but i'm blessed if i ever do it again come let's go over yonder where we caught the young owl dicky may have wanted to try that little game again so they went on calling listening then struggling on again more anxious every moment but not so thoroughly dazed as bell who had rocked her baby brother in his cradle and to whom he was the embodiment of every earthly grace if not every heavenly virtue i might have known this would happen she said miserably he's so careless that if we ever find him again we must keep him tied to something take care of your steps dear said jeff and munch this cracker or you won't have strength enough to go on with me i wish it were not getting so dark 
The moment the sun gets behind these mountaintops, the light seems to vanish in an instant. Dicky! Think of the poor darling out in this darkness. Hungry, frightened, and alone? Sighed Belle. It's past his bedtime now. Oh, why didn't we ever come to stay in this horrible place? You must not blame the place, dear. We thought it the happiest in the world this morning. Here we are by the upper pool, and the path stops. Which way had we better go? I've been here before today, said Belle. We might follow the trail I made. But where is my string? Light a match, Jeff, please. What string? What do you mean? Why, I found a beautiful spot this morning, and fearing I shouldn't remember the way back again, I took out my ball of twine and dropped a white line all the way back, like Ariadne. But I don't see it. Where can it have disappeared? Unless Jack or Phil took it to tease me. Oh, no. I've been with them all day. Perhaps a snake has swallowed it. Come. But a bright idea had popped into Belle's head. I want to go that way, Jeff, dear. It's as good as any other, and there are flowers just the other side, in an open, sunny place. Perhaps he found them. All right. Let's go ahead. The trouble is, I don't know which way to go. Here is the rock. I remember it was a spotted one, with tall ferns growing beside it. Now I went... let me see... this way. And they both plunged into the thick brush. Belle, Belle, this is utter nonsense, cried Jeff. <clears throat> no child could crawl through this tangle. Dicky could crawl through anything in this universe if it was the wrong thing. He isn't afraid of beast, bird, or fish, and he positively enjoys getting scratched, said Belle. Meanwhile, what had become of this small hero, and what was he doing? He was last seen in the hammock, playing with the long-suffering terrier Lubin who was making believe go to sleep. It proved to be entirely a make-believe, for at the first loosening of Dickie's strangling hold upon his throat, he tumbled out of the hammock and darted into the woods. Dickie followed, but Lubin was fleet of foot, and it was a desperate and exciting race for full ten minutes. At length, as Lubin heard his master's gleeful laugh, he realized that his anger was a thing of the past. Consequently, he wheeled about and ran into Dickie's outstretched arms licking his face and hands exuberantly in the joy of complete forgiveness. By this time, the voice of conscience in Dickie's soul, and it was a very, very still small one on all occasions, was entirely silenced. He strayed into a sunny spot and picked flowers enough to trim his little sailor hat, probably divining that this was what lost children in Sunday school books always did, and it would be dishonorable not to keep up the superstition. Then he built a fine strong dam of stones across the brook, wading to and fro without the bother of taking off his shoes and stockings, and filled his hat with rocks and sunk it to the bottom for a wharf, keeping his hat-band to tie an unhappy frog to a bit of bark, and setting him afloat as the captain of a slave-ship. When at length the struggling creature freed himself from his bonds and leaped into the pool, Dickie played that he was a drowning child and threw Lubin into the water to rescue him. In these merry antics the hours flew by unnoticed. He had never been happier in his life, and it flashed through his mind that if he were left entirely to himself he should always be good. 
Here I've been a whole day, awful good by my lone self. Haven't said one naughty word or or did one naughty thing, nor got scolded a single one, did I, Luba? I guess we better live here, hadn't we, Luby? And then we won't get stuck into our bed for wetting our feet. Little teeny mites of wet every single night, all the live long days, will we, Luba? But this was a long period of reflection for Master Dicky, and he capered on farther and farther, the water slozzling frightfully in his little copper-toed boots. At length he sat down on a stone to rest himself, and glancing aimlessly about, his eyes fell on a white string, which he grasped with alacrity, pulling its end from beneath the stone on which he sat. Luby Winship, the angels gave me this string for to make an awful splendid tight harness for you, little Luby, and you can drag big heavy stones. Won't that be nice? Lubin looked doubtful and wagged his tail dissentingly, as much to say that his ideas of angel ministrations were a trifle different. But there was no end to the string. How very, very curious. Dickie wound and wound and crept and crept along until he was thoroughly tired but thoroughly determined to see it through. And Lubin, meanwhile, had seized the first convenient moment after the mention of the harness to retire to the camp. At length, oh joy, the tired and torn little man, following carefully the leading string, issued from the scratching bushes into a clean, beautiful round place, with a great restful-looking stump in the center, and round its base a small forest of snowy toadstools. What could be a lovelier surprise? Dicky clapped his hands in glee as he looked at them, and thought of a little verse of poetry which Bell had taught him. Some fairy umbrellas came up today under the elm tree just over the way, and as we have had a shower of rain, the reason they came is made very plain. Tonight is the woodland fairy's ball, and drops from the elm tree might on them fall. So little umbrellas wait for them here, and under their shelter they'll dance without fear. Take care where you step, nor crush them, I pray, for fear you will frighten the fairies away. Oh! thought Dicky in a trance of delight. Now I shall go to the fairies' ball and see him dance under the cunning little teenty umbrellas. And won't they be mad at home when nobody can't see em but just only me? And then if that poetry is a big whopper, like their other one, Lad Lamp Story of Bells, I'll just pick every white toadstool for my papa's Sunday dinner, and she shan't never see a single fairy dance. But he waited very patiently for a long, long time that seemed like years, for Lubin had disappeared. And all at once it grew so dark in this thickly wooded place that Dickie's courage oozed out in a single moment, without any previous warnings as to its intention. The toadstools looked like the ghosts of little past and gone fairy umbrellas in the darkness, and not a single fairy couple came to waltz under their snowy canopies or exchange a furtive kiss beneath their friendly shadows. Dickie thought the situation exceedingly gloomy, and without knowing it, followed the example of many older people, who, on being deserted by man, experienced their first desire to find favor with God. He was not in the least degree a saintly child, but he felt instinctively that this was the proper time for prayer. 
and not knowing anything appropriate to the occasion he repeated over and over again the time-worn plaint of childhood now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep if i should die before i wake i pray the lord my soul to take amen like older mortals of feeble faith he looked for an immediate and practical answer in the shape perhaps of his mother with his little nightgown and bowl of bread and milk my sake's alive <laughs> he grumbled between his sobs they're the meanest things i ever saw <laughs> how long do they suppose i'm going to wait for em in this dark when the bears have et me up in in teenty snips then they'll be satisfied i guess and wish they'd taken gooder care of me a little speck of a boy left it out in this dark berry place all by his lone self <laughs> and he wound up with a murderous yell which had never failed before to bring the whole family to his side his former prayer seeming to be in vain he found a soft place brushed it as clean as possible and with difficulty bending his little stiff scratched body into a kneeling position he prayed his nightly postscript to now i lay me god bless papa mamma bell jack madge polly phil jeff and elsie then realizing that he was in a perilous position and it behoved him to be as pious as possible he added and please bless Ponso, and hope yet bum the goat not the wild goat up on the hill but my goat what got sick to his stomach when i painted him with black letters what a dreadful calamity to be sure if the wrong goat had been blessed by mistake his whole duty performed he picked the toadstools for his papa's sunday dinner and leaning his head against the lone stump cried himself to sleep but relief was near though he little suspected it as he lay in the sound dreamless sleep which comes only to the truly good there was a crashing sound in the still darkness and bell plunged through the thick underbrush with a cry of delight he is here dear dear jeff he is all here i knew it i knew it hurrah no i mean thank god she said softly as she stooped down to kiss her mischievous little brother but what a looking creature exclaimed jeff as he stooped over the recovered treasure see bell his curls are glistening with pitch his dress is torn into ribbons and his hands ugh how dirty poor little darling he is thoroughly used up whispered bell wiping tears of joy from her brown eyes now i'll run home like lightning to bloody horn and you carry dicky for he's too sleepy and stiff to walk and jeff here she laid an embarrassed hand on his shoulder i'm afraid he'll be awfully cross but you'll not mind it will you he is so worn out <laughs> not i laughed jeff as he dropped a brotherly kiss on bell's pale cheek but i've no idea of letting you go alone you're tired to death and you'll miss the path hmm i wish i could carry you both tired afraid 
cried Bell with a ringing laugh, while Dickie woke with a stare, and nestled on Geoffrey's shoulder as if nothing had happened. Why, now that this weight is lifted off my heart, I could see a path in an untraveled forest. Goodbye, you dear darling, cruel boy. I must run, for every moment is precious to Mama. And with one strangling hug which made Dickie's ribs crack, she dashed off. Oh, how joyously, how sweetly and tunefully, the furious blast of the old cracked dinner horn fell on the anxious ears in that canyon. It seemed clearer and more musical than a chime of silver bells. In a trice the wandering couples had gathered jubilantly round the campfire, all embracing Belle, who was the heroine of the hour, entirely by chance, and not through superior vision or courage, as she confessed. It was hardly fifteen minutes when Jeff strode into the ring with his sorry-looking burden, which he laid immediately in Aunt Truth's lap. Oh, my darling! Oh! She cried, embracing him fondly. <laughs> to think you are really not dead after all. No, he is about as alive as any chap I ever saw. And while the happy parents caressed their restored darling, Jeff gathered the girls and boys around the dinner table and repeated some of Dickie's remarks on the homeward trip. It seems that he considered himself the injured party and with great ingenuity laid all the blame of the mishap on his elders. Nobody takes care of me anyhow, he grumbled. If my papa wasn't a mean thing, I'd order to have a black nurse with a white cap and an apron, like Billy Thomas. And then I couldn't get lost it's so awful easy. And you all never cared a cent about it either, or you'd have founded me quicker than this. And I've been hungry for nineteen hours, and I guess I've been gone till December by the feeling. But you was too lazy to found me, if I freeze to death. And there ain't but one single boy of me round the whole camp, and I would have served it you right if I'd got lost it forever. Then I bet you wouldn't had much fun Fourth of July, throughout my two bits and my firecrackers. It was an hour or two before peace and quiet were restored to the camp. The long-delayed dinner had to be eaten, and to Hopyet's calm delight, it was a very bad one. Dickie's small wounds were dressed with sweet oil, and after being fed and bathed, he was tucked lovingly into bed, with a hundred kisses or more from the whole party. A little rest and attention had entirely restored his good humor, and when Dr. Paul went into the tent to see that all was safe for the night, he found him sitting up in bed with a gleeful countenance, prattling like a little angel. We had an awful funny time about me getting lost, didn't we, Mama? <laughs> Chuckled he with his gurgling little laugh. Next time I'm going to get lost in the other brand new place where nobody can find me. <laughs> I think it was the nicest time, except Fourth of July, don't you, Mama? <laughs> and he patted his mother's cheek and imprinted an oily kiss thereon. Truth, said the doctor with mild severity. I know you don't believe in applying the slipper. But I do think we should arrange some plan for giving that child an idea of the solemnity of life. So far as I can judge, he looks at it as one prolonged picnic. My sentiments exactly, cried Bell energetically. I can't stand many more of these trying scenes. I am worn to a shudder. 
Dicky tucked his head under his mother's arm with a sigh of relief that there was one person at least whose sentiments were always favorable and always to be relied upon. I love you the best of anybody, Mama, whispered he and fell asleep. End of chapter 3